the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We're glad to have you with us. Among other things, we're going to hear a conversation with Peter Wood. He is the president of the National Association of Scholars and most recently the author of Wrath, America, Enraged. That's coming up in the second hour. We'll also uh, share some thoughts on the leaked high court's opinion that required courage and compassion for both the mother and the child. We've talked a lot about the fallout from that leaked uh, opinion, but um, what was in the opinion itself? We'll make some consideration of that later in the program as well. First, to look at some of the day's news. Buffalo Police Commissioner Joseph Gramaglia, sorry about that, said Monday, that a mass shooting suspect had been, um, had, if he had not been stopped, would have continued looking for more black people to kill, according to ABC News. We've uncovered information that he, if he escaped the supermarket, he had plans to continue his attack. Well, the uh, police commissioner also added that the shooter had plans to possibly go to another store or location. Well, the development came as the president and first lady were preparing uh, to travel to Buffalo. They'll be there on Tuesday. The 18-year-old, whose name I'm not going to mention, is accused of opening fire at a Topps Friendly Market grocery store. Saturday afternoon, he killed 10 people, injuring three others. Eleven of the victims were black individuals who were his, apparently, were his targets. Attorney General Merrick Garland said on Saturday night that the Department of Justice is investigating the shooting as a hate crime and an act of racially motivated violence extremism. The police commissioner was charged, um, or rather the um, shooter was charged with first degree murder and was ordered to held without bail after pleading not guilty on Saturday. He's due back in court on Thursday. He allegedly was wearing protective uh, tactical gear. He was armed with an assault weapon, approached several people in the parking lot before firing. According to the uh, police commissioner speaking to uh, CNN, he also had a tactical helmet on and a camera to live stream. The suspect then allegedly entered the store, exchanged gunfire with an armed security guard, a retired member of the Buffalo Police Department, who was fatally injured before he continued shooting customers at random inside the store. Meanwhile, police in California said that four people have been critically wounded and one person is dead after a shooting at a Laguna Woods Church on Sunday afternoon. The Orange County Sheriff's Department said that one person had been detained and they'd recovered a weapon that may have been involved in that incident. An additional person has um, suffered minor injuries in that shooting, according to police. The shooting took place at the Geneva Presbyterian Church, and the suspect was detained at the scene. Officials described the suspect as an Asian male in his 60s, but didn't give any details on a possible motive until later in the day. Orange County Undersheriff Jeff Halleck said during a press conference that churchgoers displayed exceptional heroism and bravery during the incident, and without their quick action, there would have been more casualties. He added that the churchgoers detained the gunman by using an extension cord to hogtie him and confiscate the weapons. 
but at a significant cost. He also said there were 30 to 40 inside the church during that incident. Multiple people are being treated and were transported to nearby hospitals following the event. A spokesperson for the Orange County Sheriff said that a large number of people inside the church at the time of the shooting were Taiwanese. Well, the suspect in that uh, church shooting has been identified as David Chow, a 68-year-old of Las Vegas, Nevada. He's been booked on one felony count of murder, five felony counts of attempted murder. Gunshots rang out at the uh, Presbyterian Church before 1.30 on Sunday and left one person fatally shot, five others wounded. Roughly 40 members of the congregation, an elderly congregation, were gathered to eat lunch and meet with their former pastor, Billy Chang who was making his first visit to the church since moving to Taiwan two years ago. Parishioners took cover on the ground during the shooting, while Chang, the former pastor, was seen hitting the gunman with a chair as he stopped to reload his gun. Other churchgoers then tackled the suspect and, as mentioned, hogtied him with an extension cord. Uh, Chen told the um, L.A. Times that the congregation is composed of mostly elderly, retired Taiwanese immigrants with an average age of 80. Law enforcement sources previously said that the shooter had no clear connection to the church. The parishioners have um, since been lauded with uh, for their bravery by law enforcement. That group of churchgoers displayed what we believe is exceptional heroism and bravery, said the undersheriff. It's safe to say that had they not intervened, this, uh, this situation would have been much worse. Before services began on Sunday, the parishioners greeted the gunman. They welcomed him to the church. He allegedly told members of the congregation that he had visited the church before, but no one recognized who he was. Uh, visiting from Taiwan, the longtime pastor of um, Irvine Taiwanese Presbyterian Church knocked down the shooter, preventing the intruder from reloading and firing at more of the aging congregation. So he was uh, certainly a hero. The church's current pastor uh, told the New York Times that no one recognized the shooter and it was uh, the visiting pastor who actually subdued him. But there was one person who died on the scene and four were uh, in critical and are in critical condition. The Presbyterian Church of Taiwan is the island's largest denomination, and some Taiwanese immigrant churches in the U.S. come out of the Presbyterian tradition. The attack occurred a day after a mass shooting in, at a Buffalo, New York grocery store, as mentioned, and a few months after another deadly incident at a California church. For Taiwanese Americans, the tragedy comes with ongoing concerns for safety, particularly for elders, amid uh, anti-Asian violence during the pandemic. God have mercy, tweeted Michelle Amy Reyes. She's the vice president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative. Another precious Asian image bearer, life tragically lost. How many shootings will we be forced to bear witness to this month? Well, based on information on uh, that's been collected, this was a politically motivated hate incident, a grievance that this individual had between himself and the Taiwanese community at large. Uh, It's believed the suspect involved was upset about political tension between China and Taiwan. Well, Dr. John Chang, a 52-year-old, was identified as the deceased victim of the shooting. Authorities said that Chang um, charged at the suspect, which allowed other congregants to help neutralize him, and again, at great cost. Dr. Chang is a hero in this incident. China considers the island of Taiwan as part of its territory, and Chinese jets have repeatedly buzzed Taiwanese airspace over the past several years. And that was apparently the motivation issue surrounding uh, that uh, issue, what motivated this shooter. God help us as these incidents occur. 
time and again. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back to continue looking at some of the day's news. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Abbott Company says it's working closely with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to restart operations at the Sturgis, Michigan facility, but that is not expected to happen anytime soon. Well, the um, ex-FDA chief Gottlieb says that persistent problems at the baby formula plant appear to have been handled poorly. Well, Dr. Gottlieb is the former FDA commissioner and now a Pfizer board member. On Sunday, he blamed both the Abbott Baby Food Formula Company and the facility and the Food and Drug Administration for problems that have led to the current baby formula shortage. Well, these look um, were uh, persistent problems that appear to have been handled poorly, certainly by the company. The FDA didn't exert any of the oversight that they could have of that facility. There were known problems with the facility going Back many years, there were findings on previous inspections, he said, on Face the Nation. The agency had a 34-page whistleblower report in hand, making pretty serious allegations that there was data falsification information withheld from inspectors. So these should have prompted more aggressive action earlier. He went on to say, I think now that the facility has been shut by Abbott and production isn't going on, it's going to be hard to clear the facility. The overhang of allegations of data falsification are going to be the kinds of allegations that are hard for the agency to clear, even if they're not able to prove a casual relationship between the infections that they saw in children and the facility itself, which so far uh, the agency hasn't been able to prove and they may never be able to prove. End quote. Well, Gottlieb said the FDA found five different strains of the chronobacter um, bacteria in the Sturgis facility this year, and that is a serious concern. And it doesn't appear to have been a state-of-the-art facility based on the findings in the 483 FDA document. So how soon this is going to be resolved? I think they have uh, received clearance, uh, but it's going to take some time for that to um, uh, that facility to be able to function, so the shortage continues. Meanwhile, Michael Reagan calls it the great baby formula shortage of 2022 and writes, that's the big news story of the week. In the richest country in the world, new mothers are not able to find baby formula or are having to stand in line for hours to get it. That problem is at the top for now of the growing pile of economic blunders and social miseries um, of the current administration. Our uh, teleprompter dependent president, he writes, denies any responsibility for the uh, uh, for screwing things up in any way. But every voter knows the grim list in just 15 months or uh, uh, pretending to be on the job. He and his collection of um, experts have brought us eight percent inflation, sky high gas prices and food shortages. And don't forget supply chain disruptant disruptions, five percent mortgage interest rates and soaring Crime rate at home, plus an unnecessary and increasingly dangerous entanglement in a war between Russia and Ukraine. On Thursday, the administration acknowledged the baby formula shortage, blamed uh, formula makers and put forth the usual uh, excuse, but of course took no responsibility for it. Now, there have been different versions of when the administration learned of the situation. Uh, Some said last Thursday, others said six months ago, and others have said, and these are cabinet members, that it was much longer ago than that. 
He goes on to say, and I'm quoting Michael Reagan, when COVID was exported by China to the U.S., the president launched Operation Warp Speed to produce vaccines in record time without the usual lengthy FDA rules. What we need for baby formula is something like Operation Warp Speed, as someone on TV quipped. But don't look at uh, anything like that under the current leadership. Uh, He follows his party's traditional game plan. First, you destroy something that's working well in the private economy, like the energy industry, with a series of bad laws and policies that drive up prices and cause shortages. Then you offer free government money to victims and announce expensive new programs to fix the problem while pretending you didn't cause them in the first place. He either ignores the economic or social problems he's created from scratch and Uh, made worse and blames them on someone else. Oil prices through the roof. Putin did it, not the president's green energy policies or his sabotage of the energy sector. And he goes on from there. The great baby formula shortage of 2022, the latest on that list. Meanwhile, in other news, um, parents are outraged with critical race theory results in the Dallas school board uh, wins. They're riled up over the Montana school that's handing out questionnaires regarding, stu- regarding students' sexual orientation report as well. The fact that it's being talked about to 14 and 15 year olds just um, blows my mind, said was one resident. Well, uh, Carroll ISD School Board trustee Andrew Yeager, Grapevine uh, Colleyville ISD Tammy Nakamura, school board candidate, and others um, explain that. Um, Uh, What stuck out to their voters in each of their winning races, parents from Missoula, Montana, expressed frustration over an alleged questionnaire, which was handed out to the Sun Sentinel freshman high school class, which asked about the student's sexual orientation. Well, the questionnaire, according to the outlet, asked questions like 99 percent of reported rapists are heterosexual. Why are straights so sexually aggressive? The outlet reported that there were 15 questions in total, including when did you choose your sexual orientation? Who assumes the dominant role and who assumes the passive role in a straight relationship? Uh, Another resident said during a uh, Missoula public school board meeting, citing another question. The fact is that is being talked about to 14 and 15 year olds just absolutely blows my mind. Well, the parent who remained anonymous told NBC Montana that the questionnaire was handed out without any discussion at the end of class. Well, after the school was informed of the questionnaire, they reportedly said it was not part of the curriculum. MCPS was recently made aware of a handout that was given to students in a high school health class. The handout was intended as a demonstration exercise to show how certain questions can be seen as offensive. Students were not expected to provide written answers. The questions on that handout were intended for discussion purposes only and are not part of our approved curriculum, the statement provided, and yet they were made available. When the handout was brought to the district's attention, there was an immediate investigation and the handout was removed. The statement continued. The school board has uh, challenged a material procedure that anyone can access. Generally, the challenge materials procedure is used when there is a challenge of curriculum material used in our classroom. However, the handout in this particular incident was not part of the curriculum and should not have been used as it is uh, not part of our approved instructional materials for this unit. Well, the question is, why was it used and who's being held responsible? They went on. The district has taken appropriate remedial action to prevent this from happening again. In quotes. Well, South Dakotans expressed anger during a school board meeting in early May over multiple books they deemed inappropriate for 12th graders. A graphic novel called Fun Home depicted nudity and sexual acts. Another 
titled Girl, Woman, Other, follows the journey of a woman with multiple gender identities. Meanwhile, the school board in Fairfax County Public Schools in Fairfax, Virginia, is reviewing updated rules that could potentially expose students to suspension or expulsion for in quotes, maliciously, maliciously misgendering their peers based on frequency and intensity. Well, the Fairfax County Public School Student Rights and Responsibilities Handbook, which will be voted on later this month, includes its uh, in it updated version rules that make malicious dead naming and malicious misgendering of classmates a level four offense which allows for a suspension of up to five days if frequency and intensity are present, according to page 19 of that document. Using slurs based upon an actual or perceived gender identity is forbidden under the rules of the document, which includes but is not limited to malicious deadnaming or malicious misgendering. I'm not sure what deadnaming is. Well, the document defines deadnaming as when someone intentionally or not or not refers to a person who is transgender or gender expansive by the name other than their own chosen name. So their actual name might be used, but if it's not their chosen name, it's called dead naming. And you could be suspended from school in Fairfax County for up to what four or five days. The handbook explains that level four responses include individualized intervention that often requires disciplinary action. The principal is able to refer such violations to the superintendent, which the document says may result in a number of different responses based on circumstances and rarely results in an expulsion, but certainly can. Level five offenses include things such as homicide, sexual assault or illegal possession of drugs or weapons. So this is up in that same uh, Uh, nearly in that category. This was introduced last year and is not uh, new to this year, said the uh, spokesperson for the school. This is about the purposeful and deliberate misgendering of a student aimed at causing harm. Well, the updated rules regarding hate speech also added language to include outing related to gender identification and immigration status. So if someone... Well, it's hard for me as an adult to keep up. Anyway, as a spokesperson for the uh, governor said that local school boards need to be listening to parents and focusing on core issues like school safety, learning loss from shutdowns, and ensuring that our students are graduating high school, college, and career ready. Well, we'll see what happens next there. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we'll have a conversation with Peter Wood, president of the National Association of Scholars and author of Wrath, America Enraged. And we'll take a, a look at the high court's opinion with regard to the Casey versus uh, Florida case that could overturn Roe versus Wade. That leaked preliminary opinion. Uh, what's actually in it? Well, we'll at least take a quick look at it. Well, a local nonprofit organization is holding an event for LGBTQ youth in Naples, Florida, on Saturday that will feature a drag show at a church. The inaugural Youth Pride Conference, which is um, uh, being hosted by GLSEN, uh, will take place on the 21st at Naples United Church of Christ and is intended for LGBTQ youth seeking to explore LGBTQ-related issues they face today, according to the events page. Well, youth aged 12 to 18 are invited to attend the all-day event, 
Organizers are boasting that it will include free breakfast and lunch as well as a drag show from some of our local drag queens. The conference will also feature several breakout sessions, and I won't go into all of the details. Well, a sign-up form for the event requires users to sign off that they acknowledge that the event is not affiliated with the uh, with the church, but the church is allowing the event to take place there. Uh, they reached out to um, Glisten and the, the interim senior pastor of the church to comment, but neither um, responded. Well, drag shows for children have exploded in popularity in recent years, sparking controversy around the country as some school districts have taken flack for holding them and presenting them to very young children. In April, Hempfield School District in Pennsylvania apologized after its LGBT after-school club hosted uh, that kind of a show. We are appalled At what took place and in no way condone this type of activity in our schools, the school district said in a statement at the time, neither the dress of the invited guests nor the performance was appropriate in our school setting, but apparently appropriate in a church setting in this particular instance. Well, the Supreme Court ruled six to three in favor of Senator Ted Cruz on Monday, striking down a rule that prevented him from repaying debt from his 2018 senatorial campaign. The case was brought by uh, the senator after he attempted to repay his campaign's considerable debt with political contributions raised in his name. Cruz, whose wife was a banker for Goldman Sachs, had lent 260000 of his personal money to his campaign. Section 304 of the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act of 2002 limited the use of contributions in excess of 250000 to repay debt 20 days after an election, which left Cruz $10,000 due. Well, the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia summarily ruled in favor of Cruz's constitutional claim that the cap was a limit on the First Amendment and burdened political speech without sufficient justification. The FEC then appealed to the Supreme Court, which heard arguments in the case over October uh, in that term in 2021. The case had drawn the interest of several senators who filed uh, briefs supporting Cruz, including Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and five other colleagues, and the Republican National Committee also filed a brief. In the opinion for the conservative majority, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote that the law abridges First Amendment rights of candidates by burdening their ability to make loans on behalf of their candidacy. Debt is ubiquitous tool for financial financing electoral uh, campaigns, especially for new candidates and challengers. By inhibiting a candidate from using this critical source of campaign funding, Section 304 raises a barrier to entry, thus abridging the political speech. The court also ruled that Section 304 never furthered any permissible goal of restriction of political speech, which in a previous uh, case with the FEC was limited to quid pro quo corruption or its appearance. Well, at her first briefing as the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, she acknowledged that her ascension to the high profile position was one that uh, has made history. She is replacing Jen Psaki, who is expected to take up a seat at MSNBC. Jean-Pierre said, I am obviously acutely aware that my presence at this podium represents a few firsts. She said from the podium of the James Brady press briefing room on Monday afternoon, she said, I am a black gay immigrant woman, the first of all three of those to hold this position. I would not be here today if not for generations of barrier breaking people before me. I stand on their shoulders, end quote. She replaced Jen Psaki, the president's first press secretary, who conducted her final briefing on Friday last. The new spokesperson praised Biden for overseeing an historically diverse administration that includes many women and people of color in top posts. It's not about me, she said. It's about 
the place. Well, the 47-year-old daughter of Haitian immigrants takes over as White House spokeswoman as a number of foreign and domestic crises compete for the president's attention. She opened the briefing by reading the names of the 10 people killed by the gunmen in Buffalo, New York. Later, she fielded questions on inflation, the infant formula, formula shortage and the coronavirus pandemic. In other news, uh, demonstrating exceptional heroism, brave churchgoers sprang into action and hogtied the gunmen during a deadly rampage. Police in California said that four people have been critically wounded and one person dead after a shooting at a Laguna Woods church on Sunday afternoon. The Orange County Sheriff's Department said that one person has been detained and they have recovered a weapon that may have been involved in the incident. An additional person suffered minor injuries in the shooting, according to police. The shooting took place at Geneva Presbyterian Church. Dr. John Chang lost his life attempting to subdue the gunman. Saying our hearts are broken as victims have been identified in the Buffalo massacre. The FBI and police are searching the suspect's home. New York authorities have identified the 10 victims uh, killed on Saturday afternoon when a self-described white supremacist opened fire in a grocery store in Buffalo. Several of the victims killed at the uh, Tops Friendly Market were community members or had personal connections with those who actively served uh, service the local community, including a local food pantry chef and the mother of the city's former fire commissioner. In an example of woke medicine, critical race theory related ideas are being found in mandatory programs at 39 out of the top 50 medical schools, a report finds. And security concerns are growing as U.S. defense contractors maintain their China ties despite rising tension. Speculating about a SCOTUS abortion timetable, some ask if the Supreme Court will release Roe v. Wade decision this week. And in a proposed heartbeat uh, heartbeat workaround, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt addressed whether super uh, liberal tribal clinics can circumvent his new strict abortion rule. Calling it legally dubious, the New York Times editorial board says canceling student debt across the, uh, the board is a bad idea. And former First Lady Melania Trump has spoken out. The former First Lady highlighted media scrutiny in an exclusive interview with with Pete Hegseth. She says they're biased. Senator Bill Cassidy calls for an Operation Warp Speed for energy. Another senator called for one with regard to the uh, lack of baby formula. NPR has been called out as a priest called out NPR's abortion coverage for failing to include pro-life voices. Doctor in the House, Dr. Anthony Fauci gives a direct answer when asked if he'll leave the White House if Donald Trump wins the 2024 election. Now, mind you, he hasn't announced that he plans to run, but a hypothetical question. Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci laughed and said no when asked if he would stay in his post as chief medical advisor at the White House if former President Donald Trump wins in 2024. Former President Trump frequently clashed with Fauci, you might recall, during the first year of the pandemic about hydroxychloroquine, testing, reopening businesses, curtailing travel from China and several other issues. Well, Finland is moving forward with a formal application for NATO membership. Sky News reports that Finland has confirmed it will apply to join NATO despite Russia's president warning it would be a mistake to do so. Finland's president said joining the military alliance will maximize his country's security following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Public support has skyrocketed since that time. Meanwhile, the Kremlin's uh, press service said in a statement that Putin told um, 
Finland's president that uh, they need to abandon its traditional policy of military neutrality and it would uh, be an error to do so since there is uh, there are no threats to Finland's security. Well, such a change in the country's foreign policy could negatively affect Russian Finnish relations, which had been built in the spirit of good neighborliness and partnership for many years and were mutually beneficial. The statement added all of that changed for Finland when Uh, Russia invaded Ukraine and President Biden held a joint call with Finland's uh, leaders on Friday to support their NATO application. Russian officials responded with furious bluster, with one threatening to reduce the U.S. to nuclear ashes if America threatens the Russian state. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, Peter Wood, president of the National Association of Scholars. His book, America Enraged. That's coming up in the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, in a Netflix memo to employees, quit if you're offended by our content. Well, Netflix has launched a crackdown on woke workers trying to silence artists such as Dave Chappelle. The streaming service dished out a new cultural memo telling staff they're offended by the content. They can leave the firm. Bosses warned they will not censor specific artists or voices, even if employees consider the content harmful. And the Wall Street Journal reports that for Netflix, the company spokesman said employees were given a chance to offer feedback on the new culture guidelines. He said the company received more than a thousand comments, which helped shape the new part of the memo. Netflix is coming off a disappointing quarter report last month, which shows it's uh, lost subscribers for the first time in over a decade. Revenue also grew at its slowest pace in years with rising competition from new and existing streaming rivals. The company said it's exploring offering a lower priced ad supported version of the platform to help boost its subscriber base, but perhaps with some without some of its former employees. Senator McConnell and a GOP delegation visited President Zelensky in Ukraine. The Senate Majority Leader and Republican Senators Susan Collins, John Cornyn and John Barrasso, they traveled to Kiev to visit Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. The U.S. Embassy tweeted about the senator's visit to Ukraine Saturday and posted video of their meeting. The Associated Press reports that in his statement after the visit, McConnell called the visit inspiring and said he and his colleagues had been seeing firsthand the courage, unity and resolve of the Ukrainian people. The senator added, it is squarely in our national interest to help Ukraine achieve victory in this war and to help Ukraine and other countries deter other wars of aggression before they start. Well, taxpayers may be on the hook for the D.C. staffers Peloton membership. I can't afford a Peloton membership, but, well, we're providing that for D.C. staffers. The House of Representatives faced backlash late last week over a plan to use taxpayer money to give staffers in Washington, D.C. and in district offices across the country free Peloton membership. Well, free to them, but we'll take up the tab. While the American people feel the pain of soaring inflation rates, the plan reportedly will give an estimated 12,300 people both Peloton All access and a Peloton app membership at no cost to them, while the American taxpayer could be forced to shell out more than one hundred and twenty thousand dollars per month, depending on how many people enroll in the program. Fox News reporter John Roberts said desperate parents can't find baby formula. Congress has yet to take action, but lawmakers can now order liquor directly to their Capitol Hill offices. Lawmaker and staff will now have free access to a Peloton app. Wow. 
Well, according to Rasmussen, the majority of Americans want abortion decided by voters and not the courts. National Review reports that a great irony of the leaked Dobbs draft is that Democrats, despite all their advocacy and overdrive since its release, may end up gaining very little politically. And Town Hall writes that a recently released Scott Rasmussen National Survey from RMG Research said the results reaffirmed the idea that it is time for Roe to go so that the abortion decision can be returned to the American people through their elected officials and state legislatures. This, according to polling, is actually the outcome voters want. For 65 percent chose voters and their elected representatives, while just 18 percent chose judges and courts when it comes to who should decide the abortion issue. Well, Marvel has announced two new trans superheroes. First, Disney did it, then Pixar, and Marvel doesn't want to be left out. They're set to introduce not one, but two transgender characters. It was only a matter of time. Transgender mutant hero Morgan Red will be joined by her sidekick, Sheila Sexton, also known as Escapade, in the film. The duo will be liberated from a laboratory alongside their genetically modified turtle. Escapade, co-creator Charlie Jane Sanders, uh, said that um, she he created her to be a cool weirdo, adding Morgan was there for Sheila when she was first transitioning, supporting each other through their transitions when they were kids. This is all fiction, of course. So Marvel is making it seem normal for kids to go through transitions. Sanders said that uh, she wanted transgenderism to be a key part of the story. Marvel says, get ready for this year's Marvel Voices Pride with a first look at artist Oliver Koipel's new variant cover. A Brave New World. As mothers struggle to feed infants, the administration denies there's a formula crisis. From that story, nationally, 43% of baby formula is out of stock, with more than 30 states averaging about the U.S. level in the week that began May the 1st, up from 31% two weeks earlier. That's according to the latest figures from Data Assembly. Normally, baby formula is 10% out of stock on average. Tennessee, Kansas, Delaware are among states seeing the worst of the shortage. Fox News says that during an interview on Fox and Friends weekend, Senator Marsha Blackburn said that the baby formula crisis shows how broken the administration is and argued the White House knew about the shortage since October of 2021. And RNC says, does the White House consider this baby formula shortage a crisis? The communications director says, nah. Nancy Pelosi called the Supreme Court dangerous over Roe versus Wade. The House Speaker said Sunday on CNN's State of the Union that the current Supreme Court was dangerous for families and freedom in America. Uh, Pelosi, uh, The Hill reported that Pelosi linked former President Trump, who appointed three conservative justices to the bench during his four-year tenure in the White House, to the draft decision. India, the second largest wheat producer in the world, has halted wheat exports. Fear of scarcity due to a heat wave said to be the reason from the story. India banned wheat exports on Saturday, just days after saying it was targeting record shipments this year as a scorching heat wave curtailed output and local prices hit an all time high amid strong export demand. Global buyers were banking on the world's second biggest wheat producer for supplies after exports from the Black Sea region plunged following Russia's invasion of Ukraine in late February. Prior to the ban, India was targeting to ship out a record 10 million tons this year. The Indian ban could drive up global prices to new peaks and hit poor consumers in Asia and Africa. Fox News says global wheat prices have increased by more than 40 percent 
since the beginning of the year. According to a new poll, 75 percent of Americans say the country is um, on the wrong track. NBC noted that the poll is the fourth consecutive survey where the wrong track figure was above 70 percent and only the fifth time in 34 years that the wrong track number reached 75 percent. The last time it was uh, that high was during the Great Recession of 2008, followed by the 2013 government shutdown. Meet the Press says that NBC News poll just 16 percent say the country is headed in the right direction, while 75 percent say we're on the wrong track. It's a truism that voters view about the economy began to harden in May. If that theory holds, the Democrats are in serious trouble right now. Referring, of course, to the midterm elections. Well, the Durham prosecution of uh, the attorney Sussman has begun. Former Hillary Clinton lawyer Michael Sussman's trial began today. Special counsel John Durham has charged Sussman with lying to the FBI when, back in September of 2016, he told then-FBI General Counsel James Baker that he was not representing any client when he offered bogus information alleging a back channel between Donald Trump's campaign and Russia. The case Durham has put together goes well beyond Sussman, showing that the Clinton campaign concocted a disinformation plot in order to promote a hoax of its own creation, that Trump was um, conspiring with Russia to win the election. Sussman's tip to the FBI was an effort to get the agency to open an investigation into the Trump campaign to give the collusion claim an appearance of legitimacy, which the Clinton campaign and the media could then tout as evidence against Trump. At least 10 FBI officials will likely take the stand during the trial, as the FBI's reputation is also at stake. The question is whether this is the last of the Clinton conspirators Durham will go after or just the first. This is especially pertinent, given that what uh, Durham has uncovered makes the uh, biggest political scandal in modern American history quite plain. Middle schoolers are being charged with sexual harassment for misgendering their classmates, a title... um, 11 sexual harassment uh, claim and subsequent investigation have been raised against three eighth grade boys in Wisconsin for what crime? Well, in the parlance of the woke uh, moralists, they are guilty of misgendering for their refusal to adhere to the demand that they use the pronouns they them for a female classmate who claims a trans- transgender identity. Never mind that these boys are adhering to scientific reality and the long established rules of the English language. Their failure to embrace the left gender bending ideology is now grounds for claims of sexual harassment. One boy's mother explained the shock of the principal's warning. I'm thinking sexual harassment. That's rape. That's inappropriate touching. That's incest. That has my son. uh, What has my son actually done? When she learned that the charge was failing to use a classmate's preferred pronoun, she thought it had been a joke. Unfortunately, it wasn't. Compelled speech is not free speech. This is yet another instance of the First Amendment being violated. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming here at the top of the hour and also in the second hour, a conversation with uh, the president of the National Association of Scholars, Peter Wood, and a look at the um, leaked draft high court's opinion that could overturn Roe versus Wade. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next couple of segments, a conversation with Peter Wood, president of the National Association of Scholars. America Enraged. We'll talk with him about how we stand as a nation and we'll uh, have some final thoughts on the leaked high court opinion. 
It requires courage and compassion for mother and child in one doctor's view of what that might mean and what it should mean moving forward. Well, Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court justice, compared the Supreme Court abortion leak to infidelity, calling it unprecedented. It's never occurred in the history of the U.S. Supreme Court. 500 of the richest people have collectively lost $1 trillion this year. A child sex abuse center hired a professor who faced backlash over pedophile comments. Somebody didn't think that through. And CNN accidentally sent welcome packages to laid off employees. And previously neutral Finland has announced it wants to join NATO and has begun the process to do just that. Well, on this day in history, 1770, Marie Antoinette, age 14, marries the future King Louis, the whatever, of France, who is 15. 1868, at the U.S. Senate impeachment trial of President Andrew Johnson, 35 out of 54 senators voted to find Johnson guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors over his attempted dismissal of Secretary of War Edwin Stanton, falling one vote short of the two-thirds majority needed to convict. 1939, the federal government begins its first food stamp program in Rochester, New York. 1943, the nearly month-long Warsaw Ghetto Uprising comes to an end as German forces crushed the Jewish resistance and blew up the Great Synagogue. 1966, China launches the Cultural Revolution, a radical and deadly reform movement aimed at purging the country of counter-revolutionaries. 1988, Surgeon General C. Everett Koop releases a report declaring nicotine was addictive in ways similar to heroin and cocaine. 1991, Britain's Queen Elizabeth II becomes the first British monarch to address the United States Congress as she praises U.S.-British cooperation in the Persian Gulf. 1997, President Bill Clinton publicly apologizes for the notorious Tuskegee experiment in which government scientists deliberately allowed black men to weaken and die of uh, treatable syphilis, declining to treat them. 2000. By the way, they weren't told that's what was happening. 2007, anti-war Democrats in the Senate fail in an attempt to cut off funds for the Iraq war. And finally, on this day in history, 2018, Michigan State University officials say uh, they have agreed to pay $500 million to settle claims from more than 300 women and girls who said they were assaulted by sports doctor Larry Nasser, who is now serving time in prison. With the annualized inflation tax now around $8,500 per American household, the last thing we need is more fuel dumped on the inflationary fires. Yet that is exactly what the president has asked Congress to do. Congress is now considering a $48 billion corporate bailout disguised as COVID-19 spending that takes more of your money and gives it to um, the chosen few. This, of course, is on top of the more than $6 trillion of taxpayer money that has been spent on COVID-19 already or at least is being held in reserve. Of those funds alone, $40 billion, 80% of the bill, would go just to backfill a single program from the president's inflationary stimulus that gave out cash last year to businesses of the government's choosing. However, who will backfill the bank accounts of the Americans robbed to finance this corporate giveaway? Point of fact, it is your money that they would be giving out. When the government offers some spending bill of this nature, politicians always try to convince you that they are offering to take your family out to dinner. In reality, they take control of your finances, redirect your paycheck to their bank account, and then offer to use a fraction of that to take your family out for dinner. Most likely McDonald's. Don't be fooled by the sleight of hand.
Whether through a direct tax or the inflation caused by money printing and deficit spending, it's always all your money the government is issuing. The government cannot create wealth. It can only repurpose the things produced by hardworking American families. And though minor league sports teams may enjoy a $500 million of your money, this bill is reported to give them. Why is this uh, the focus? Aren't the record levels of inflation the real pressing disaster? Well, why, for example, not sign into uh, the law a stimulus spending aid package for the victims of inflation? Well, here there's an easy answer. It would create more inflation, hurting the very people it would be intended to help. The president's favorite tax, spend, and deficit tactics would only exacerbate the issue. Well, the question illuminates the absurdity of the economic policy. The deficit spending spree... Uh, the president wants would continue to drive the inflation that is taxing every American today. The wild federal spending spree of the last couple of years, fueled by the money printing process or presses of the Fed, have largely driven the hurricane of inflation now bearing down on every American household. Also, the president has doubled down on an oversized regulatory state that compounded the supply chain crisis and has left American store shelves emptier. As the old adage goes, more dollars chasing fewer goods, a perfect recipe for, you guessed it, inflation. Another um, way of viewing it is that you can't buy products that don't exist. The administration has done everything it can uh, to ensure there are uh, as few goods and services available as possible. As gas prices remain at crushing levels, the administration canceled a round of leasing sales to oil producers. With record high levels of job openings, they continue pushing to pay people even more to stay home. The economy needs workers, not bailouts. Federal regulatory interference has even helped to keep baby formula plants closed, helping to create the current shortage sweeping the nation. In many years, asking for another $48 billion inflationary spending bill would be par for the course from the administration. This is just the latest example of the president unwilling to deal with the government actions that have created the inflationary mess. As the president fiddles, he again is asking Congress to keep the fire of inflation going we'll follow the story to see if in fact they agree to go along with it meanwhile a senior u.s defense official has confirmed uh, on monday that the president has authorized the deployment of hundreds of special operations troops inside somalia the decision comes alongside approval of a pentagon request for standing authority to target about a dozen suspected leaders of the al-shabaab terrorist group that operates inside east african country's border It also comes after the Pentagon announced in December of 2020 that the majority of U.S. troops previously stationed in Somalia would be removed from the Horn of Africa by early 2021. Well, the nearly 700 U.S. soldiers stationed there would not necessarily be coming home, but rather posted in neighboring countries or other regions, the Pentagon officials said at the time. Well, the decision to reintroduce a persistent presence was made to maximize the safety and effectiveness of our forces and enable them to provide more efficient support to our partners. A spokesperson for the National Security Council told the New York Times in a statement, adding that move um, will enable a more effective fight against al-Shabaab. A senior administration official that spoke to the newspaper said the administration's strategy in Somalia includes targeting al-Shabaab members suspected of playing roles in developing terror plots outside the country and bringing down the threat to a level that is tolerable. Al-Shabaab, which is linked to al-Qaeda, is now estimated to have some 10,000 fighters, the New York Times also reported. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, Peter Wood. 
president of the National Association of Scholars. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest points out that anger now dominates American politics. You've probably noticed. It wasn't always so. Happy Days Are Here Again was FDR's campaign song in 1932. By contrast, candidate Kamala Harris's 2020 campaign song was Mary J. Blige's uh, Work That, Let Them Get Mad, They're Gonna Hate Anyway. Well, both the left and the right now summon anger as the main way to motivate their supporters. After the election, both sides became even more uh, indignant. The left accuses the right of insurrection. The right accuses the left of fraud. And his book is about how we got here, about how America changed from a nation that could be roused to anger but preferred self-control to a nation permanently dialed to 11. The book is titled Wrath. And what an appropriate word uh, for where we are today. Wrath, America enraged. Peter Wood is the president of the National Association of Scholars and author of the new book, Wrath, America enraged, as well as last year's acclaimed 1620, the critical response to the 1619 project. A former professor of anthropology and college provost, he is the author of several books about American culture, including diversity, the invention of a concept and a bee in the mouth, anger in America now. That was back in 2007. He is the editor in chief of the the journal Academic Questions and a widely published essayist. In 2019, he received the Gene Kilpatrick Prize for contributions to academic freedom. He's based in New York and joins us today by phone. And I am just delighted to have you uh, with us and appreciate your book. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. You write in the beginning of your book, um, in the section titled How to Read This Book, you write that wrath is more of an exploration than an argument. And you also write that my book reflects my uncertainty about what to do next, and I dedicate it to those who share my quandary. I have no answers, easy or otherwise, to those who seek counsel about how to recover our country from a profound betrayal by a self-serving class of powerful people. What I have is a reflection, 20 years in the making, on anger in America. Now, I'll just ask the simple and rather obvious question. Um, how did anger come to dominate American politics? Is it, is it just as recently as the last election, or has this been building over a long period of time? Well, it's been building over a long period, at least about 25 years. I, I think the, the surprising thing that I found was that anger had found a home in American culture before it entered into politics. We tend to think of politics as the source of our uh, polarity these days, but it's really the destination where it went after it had already taken hold in other departments of our lives. Um, So, you know, and there's a reason for that. I think politics is by itself so fraught with the possibility of anger that people over the generations have built into a safeguards, things that were meant to enable politicians to argue with each other on the floor of the Senate, but then go out and have coffee afterwards and talk things over. Um, that set of safeguards, the, the circuit breakers that kept politics from becoming all rage all the time, has gone away. So what we have now is what politics looks like when the safeguards are removed. And uh, 
I see this as something that has happened across the board. It's not one side or the other that is uh, more responsible for the anger, but that doesn't mean that the anger is exactly the same on either side as well. We've got a distinct character to the anger of the left and a distinct character to the anger on the right, and the two of them, when they clash, produce yet something else, a uh, a breakdown, I would say, of uh, basic civility in American life. We're all experiencing that in one way or another. Um, I've experienced it firsthand in, in my own church. You know, it's a, a question of whether people can disagree without uh, that getting in the way of a, of a common worship. And sometimes the answer is no, they can't. They can't. Um, and there are issues we have to deal with because of that. What are the, the pillars that we have abandoned that make civility sort of an arcane uh, notion that no longer uh, is no longer where we hope to ultimately arrive? What are the issues? Well, well the, the pillars that, that we once relied upon. Well, the pillar we once relied on was the notion that um, we should engage in self-government, self-control, that is, we govern our individual emotions and souls, and we also govern ourselves collectively as people who share a commitment to that form of self-control. Now, that was once so common that it hardly needed to be remarked mm-hmm. the, um, that for centuries our country uh, focused on teaching people not only self-reliance but self-control. People did have tempers. They lost them at times. Anger is a human emotion that is bound to crop up. The question is not whether they get angry, but what happens when they get angry. Do they figure out, I've got to put some guards against this. I have to stop at some point. Um, the uh, For how many hundreds of years, 200 at least, George Washington was the figure that we look to as the father of the country. We tend to think of him as somebody who was uh, staid and dignified and not very exciting, but his contemporaries knew the opposite. He was a man who had a terrific temper. Um, His achievement was that he learned to control it, and when he found himself uh, about to burst his bounds, he was able to draw back and take command of himself. His ability to do that is what gave him command over other people around him. Um, That lesson has been relearned many times over the course of our country's history, uh, and one would have thought it was settled. But um, after World War II, things began to come apart, uh, I think, in two ways. One was that's when Americans really began to discover Uh, Freudian psychoanalysis with the idea that if you repress your anger, it will come back at you in the form of neurosis. So it was more healthy mentally to let it all out. And the other was the importation from Europe after the war of uh, existentialism and an idea that to have an authentic life, you had to be in touch with your darkest emotions and let them out. So those two things were circulating at around the same time in the early 1950s, uh, mostly on the the coastal elites, but gradually they spread throughout the rest of society. Uh, It's a long story. I won't try to tell it on this uh, interview, but I think what you see happening is that 
the um, the licensing of anger, this new mm-hmm. form of uh, individualism, um, gains ground because it proves to be such a useful tool for protest. Uh, people begin to understand that uh, being angry empowers them and excites other people. Anger becomes something of a spectator sport, and that's one of the first places we really see it is that uh, sports, which used to be governed by codes of sportsmanship, suddenly become uh, places where people swear and brawl, and uh, it, it turns out to be one way in which you can make anger into something that is both uh, more lived experience and less controlled. Um, we saw it happening in our uh, mass media, our movies, even in our music, uh, and angrification takes place that sweeps through culture. Uh, key to all of that is the way we bring up children. If you teach children at a young age, you have to control yourself. It's different from just letting them have their tantrums and sometimes letting them have their ways. Uh, as parental generations adopted the idea that expressive individualism is better, is kind of morally better than self-control, you begin to get people whose whole lives are uh, open to the the mad swings of anger from one moment to the next. Uh, So all of that had been happening for uh, 40 or 50 years before we decided that we would make it part of our politics as well. And I think the crucial years for those changes are uh, starting in the 1990s when during the Clinton years there was a lot of denunciation going on of the angry white man. But then it really, the dam breaks with um, uh, George Bush's election over uh, Kerry in uh, 2000. After that, you find an angry left emerging that is just exuberant in its anger. Um, And that's something new. People have gotten angry before, but now it's something to take pride in. Look how angry I am. Uh, Join me. We're going to have an anger fest. And um, that coincides pretty closely with the rise of social media so that people Mm. could uh, get online and uh, begin to egg each other on from early in the morning. So uh, it's a bit hard to tease these things apart, but the political anger and the um, the ostentatious anger on social media uh, begin to form a feedback loop and they accelerate. That's the stuff that was happening when I wrote my first book about anger, uh, A Bee in the Mouth, Anger in America Now. That was I wrote that back in 2006. And um, I was taking account of this stuff and saying that uh, uh, we really need to get control of it because this is not going to lead to any place good. Well, counsel like that seldom is heeded, and I guess I didn't really expect it to be, but I also didn't expect it to uh, accelerate to the degree that it has. We have now turned our politics into nothing but anger, a kind of animosity towards the guys on the other side has become the signature of what it means to engage in political life. No, no will to find a common way is left. Um, and I have to confess that, that I share that. I'm, I don't see now how you can create uh, a meaningful compromise between 
people who want the country to have no borders and people who want the borders to be enforced or uh, people who believe that um, a woman's right to choose trumps everything and people who think that the right to life trumps everything. Those are not matters to be settled by a, a handshake. Um, we have a, uh, a world right now in which uh, the division between those who think the uh, 2020 election was stolen and those who call that the big lie uh, can't really even talk about it. Yeah, each yeah. Side, it's boiling mad at the other. Uh, once the uh, opposing idea is put on the table. Well, I tell you what, we need to take a break, but we'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. Again, we're talking this afternoon with Peter Wood, author of Wrath, America Enraged. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Peter Wood, president of the National Association of Scholars and author of the new book, Wrath, America, Enraged. Now, just before the break, you described unbridled anger as a sort of virtue signaling. And I wanted to ask, progressive elites are stoking rage on a range of issues from anti-racism, critical race theory, uh, efforts to erase American history, the 1619 Project, one example, um, uh, unfettered illegal immigration, the COVID pandemic response, new voter rights uh, comparisons. What are the risks of losing losing emotional self-control and the consequences of a culture that indulges too freely in the celebration of anger? And what kind of threat does that pose to the Republican? Public. Well, that's a, a hefty question. Um, I would say that all the things you're talking about are backed up with emotional rage. If you try to uh, engage in reasoned argument with somebody who holds the positions that you just listed, uh, you don't get reasoned argument in return. Uh, what you get is a kind of denunciation. Uh, you're a racist, you're a xenophobe, you're uh, homophobe, you're, you're some kind of uh, person whose uh, own views are reduced to a pathological, psychological state. Um, so what do you get when you license anger to be the tool by which you proceed through disagreements with other people? Uh, well, what you don't get is argument. What you do get is an effort to write the person uh, out of the conversation altogether. Uh, the result of that on the political scale means that tens of millions of people are denied the right to participate in their own government. The, the idea of consent of the governed, which is intrinsic to our republic, uh, disappears because the governed, in this case, can only be controlled or suppressed. Um, now, we're talking about, about a big range of issues. Each of those things is sort of compacted into an ideology in which the uh, view is that social justice or so-called social justice lies on one side and on the other side there only uh, is this uh, category of uh, the ignorant, the uh, deplorable, uh, those who gravitate towards uh, fascist dictatorship. Um, Terms of abuse that don't really describe what anybody believes at all um, since it's extremely difficult to find anybody who's an actual racist, we have this new concept of systemic racism, which can be applied across the board, regardless of what 
a person really believes or stands mm-hmm. for, um, that is a kind of pollution of the world of uh, a, a democratic polity. You can't really engage in politics if you're going to be denounced as subhuman for uh, disagreeing with anything that stands in the form of enforced doctrine by the governing party. Well, I'm saying the governing party, uh, of course, can change. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are now in this situation where we face uh, a a government that, in my view, was elected by, let's say, mischief, uh, actions taken that didn't fully comport with the rule of law, has brought in um, President Biden and Vice President Harris. Uh, They have been able to use the levers of government to advance the kinds of policies you're talking about. We have simply no border enforcement now at all. Um, We bugged out of Afghanistan, abandoning friends and citizens, as well as uh, billions of dollars of equipment. Uh, All that sort of thing rankles. But if you try to express it in uh, the mainstream media in America, uh, you will find yourself not just cut down in that act, but perhaps prohibited from appearing anywhere else. We we have the these incredibly powerful things like Facebook and Twitter, which seem to have a, a capacity to say you don't exist. If we disagree with you, we will prohibit you from expressing any views at all on our platform. And since all the platforms interlock with one another, it really creates a, a class of non-citizens. Um, so when I, I say that in these circumstances, I, I share in the anger. I, I understand where the wrath of the right comes from. It comes from being denied participation in your own society. Um, the real question in my mind is, what can we do to prevent this wrath from descending into uh, to violence or uh, mere anarchy or worse, perhaps despair? Uh, the despair of the person who just gives up and retreats into some kind of bleak inner world. Um, I much favor that we uh, take our wrath and turn it to as constructive an end as we can. That may mean uh, winning elections or participating more fully in local politics, but it may also mean simply uh, engaging in civil disobedience, saying that there's some things you can't make me do. while I myself have been vaccinated, when I see people who refuse to be vaccinated because they think that's a illegal or improper intrusion of the state on their personal privacy, uh, I'm perfectly good with that. I think that's a, a worthy act. It comes with some risks um, of how you will be dealt with by the authorities, but you're making a statement there that makes some sense in pushing back against an authoritarian regime that wants to turn everything we do into a matter of state policy. Well, I appreciate that in addition to describing where we are as a country, as a culture with regard to anger, that you also offer um, advice that wrath is a dangerous weapon. You have to use it wisely to avoid self-injury. 
and mm-hmm. that that it needs to be used constructively in, in overcoming things like, um, as you pointed out, censorship and silencing and criminalization of dissenting opinion, other forms of, of persecution. What encouragement can you give our listeners as our time is ticking away um, who recognize and will immediately recognize what you write about in the book, but want to to do something different, to be constructive, to perhaps move the republic in a direction that's more uh, more constructive and favorable to a future? Well, I took heart from the uh, school board elections and state elections that occurred this month, especially in Virginia, but also in New Jersey, here where I am in New York, where there was a real sign that uh, the public is sufficiently fed up to push back against this. That's one thing. When I see people resisting, as in uh, air traffic controllers or airline pilots, or in, in, again in New York, it's been nurses and doctors and uh, firefighters and policemen who have uh, put some brakes on this. Whatever we do for a living, we have some opportunity to exert ourselves beyond just our individual choices and to influence other people. Maybe the hardest thing of all to do is, is to bring this into um, your actual community, your friends, mm-hmm. uh, relations, uh, people that you go to church with. Um, I'm in the midst of that now, and I, I live in a, a deep uh, blue part of uh, New York City. I'm on Upper West Side. I'm surrounded by people who uh, strongly disagree with my every opinion. Um, and yet I try to pick my way through that by showing people that uh, I can disagree with them without becoming a monster. Um, but I don't want to give up my right to dissent. And I think that that's a hard choice that we each have to make individually about where you're going to dissent and how you're going to do it. Um, and sometimes the results are just not very nice. You, you lose friends or in, in one of my cases, a community a group at church just broke up uh, because people couldn't stand uh, knowing, just knowing, not even expressing that others held different views. Mm. I think it's important that that kind of thing actually happen, that you don't live in fear of it happening to the point where you begin to compromise away your right to self-expression. Yeah. Um, I don't encourage people to be antagonistic, but I do encourage them to be um, thoughtfully forceful in maintaining uh, their opinions against peer pressure. Yeah, great advice. Well, the book is really a must read. Wrath, America Enraged. I wish we had more time because there's so much more to talk about, but I would highly recommend it. It's published by Encounter. And Peter Wood, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. You know, we've heard a lot about the consequence of the leaked opinion, uh, the draft opinion from the U.S. Supreme Court, but not a lot about the contents of the leaked material. Well, that uh, Supreme Court draft opinion in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization states that it is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives, end quote. 
Thus, in that draft, the court simultaneously acknowledged the importance of individual liberty and recognized the intrinsic value of unborn human beings. Well, the American College of Pediatricians supported the draft opinion, not only because we value all human life beginning at conception, but also because if the final ruling reflects the draft, it presents an opportunity to better protect the mother-infant dyad, as it's referred to. While with heavy hearts, we acknowledge that there are women who become pregnant as a result of abuse or at a time when they are in tenuous living situations or when their support system is intolerant of their decision-making, much less the pregnancy. Well, those scenarios are unacceptable, but the pregnancy is only the tip of the Titanic-sized iceberg. Diagnosing the pregnancy as the problem and terminating it without addressing the underlying injuries risks further harm to an already wounded woman and always kills the innocent unborn. Because physicians um, uh, do what they do, some suggest we can do better. In fact, Robin Pirucci suggests that uh, that is precisely what physicians ought to consider. She writes that it is our hope that no woman should ever have to turn to a facility that is unclean or inappropriately staffed or one that does not care for both her and her baby. It is our hope in agreement with this Supreme Court draft opinion that the elimination of particularly gruesome or barbaric medical procedures will occur. uh, Dismemberment is a medieval form of torture and should not be performed on any human, even the helpless, pain-capable, unborn child. Dismembering premature babies is inhumane and wrong. She goes on to say, it's also our hope that even if imperfectly formed, the inherent value of the new person rises above any reason for premeditated killing. Further, it's our hope that all can agree that any human being who is born alive deserves to be treated humanely. Neglect at any stage of life is immoral. And in this population of patients, being too premature or medically ill for current capabilities, provision of comfort care remains the medical and ethical obligation except, of course, in abortion. Comfort care can sometimes utilize medical technology, but it always requires empathy and compassion. It's never a euphemism for ignore until dead, which is far too often the current practice. Because we are physicians, she goes on to say, we agree with the equitable treatment of every single human being. We believe that no person is worthless, whether or not the baby is inconvenient or imperfectly formed. Those issues do not lessen the humanity of an unborn human being. Depending on the mother's circumstances, she may require extra care and she could should receive it. But her baby does not deserve less care than she does because convenience doesn't affect how human the baby is. Reproductive justice is not what abortion accomplishes. Justice is not delivering uh, delivered rather by terminating a person who is perceived as being inconvenient at any stage of life and doing so prior to birth is no different. The American College of Pediatricians believes that the mother-infant dyad is so precious, as is the father-infant dyad, that it's only sensible to make a special effort to provide resources that preserve the well-being of both. In 1863, a picture was taken of an escaped slave. The picture of whipped Peter was sent to Harper's Weekly, and in the massive scars covering his back, our nation literally saw the injustice of slavery. And we changed. The abortion industry has many similarities to the slavery industry. Both demand that we overlook the humanity, pain, suffering, and death of human beings in order for the industry to continue. Courage is needed to consider with compassion both the mothers and their unborn babies. The Supreme Court draft majority opinion that was leaked illustrates 
that courage. May our hearts be enlightened and emboldened by their example. For the sake of the mother and the unborn child, we hope that the draft opinion becomes the court's final ruling. Now, as we explained before, that draft opinion is just that. It could change the day before it's made public. So the draft doesn't necessarily reflect the final decision made by the court. Now, as a pro-life person, I would um, I would argue that I um, passionately hope that that will, in fact, be the outcome But it is a draft opinion. Clarence Thomas, in an interview earlier um, this last week, made the point that it is unprecedented that a Supreme Court draft opinion would be leaked to the public. This is the first time in our nation's history that that has been done. It was deliberately done to influence the outcome of the decision making process to put pressure on the justices and perhaps reverse the decision, the draft that was leaked. This is a very serious matter, and it's also being suggested that the individual responsible for having done it will probably never be identified. We learned last week that whoever was responsible had resigned shortly after uh, this was made public. Now, I'm not sure how those two things um, uh, can both be true, that we have no idea who the person is, and the announcement that the person who made the leak um, left shortly after the leak was uh, was made, but nonetheless... Uh, We're being told that the individual or individuals responsible will probably never be identified. Is it a lack of will? I don't know. What I do know is this is unprecedented and it undermines the independence of the court. It's a very serious matter. And if you have the opportunity to read Justice Clarence Thomas's uh, reflections on that fact, it's certainly worth uh, considering. All of that said, there's. The possibility that the Supreme Court could release their decision earlier than originally thought, given our current circumstances, or it may be sometime in June when that opinion is made um, made public and final. In the meantime, for those of us who are pro-life, it is a season of prayer and anticipation. Uh, While we might celebrate an outcome that would reverse Roe versus Wade, it certainly would not be an end to the ongoing debate. It would then be up to each individual state to determine how abortion would be practiced or prevented within that state. Now, in the state of Oregon, for example, abortion was made legal before Roe versus Wade and will remain just that. But in other parts of the country, there will be a debate and some states will uh, end the practice of abortion on demand should the Supreme Court make that final decision. We'll continue to follow the story. We want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering today's program. Thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. And I hope you'll join us here again tomorrow. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.